Foodie Films is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey there, foodies, and welcome back to another episode of Foodie Films. Of course, this is your host, your chef de cinema cuisine, Kyle Reinfried. What's going on? What's happening? How are you? What are you foodies been up to? You eating some good things? I hope so. I've been, uh, you know, my usual self. I've been cooking. I've been going out to eat. Any any notable things recently? Uh, I must have said how I went to... Rizoy with Brant. Yeah, I definitely shared that. Uh, so dabbled in some Indian cuisine. It seems actually kind of like we hang out on Mondays. We went to a local pizza place recently. You guys need to follow him on Instagram because he cooks up a storm and so many delicious things. He made some everything sourdough bagels the other day. Oh, I ate it so fast that I forgot to take a picture. But uh, I hope he keeps making them because they were delicious. Uh, anything else? Um, went to a spot I've been to before in Jersey City the other night, but Taqueria. And so had a couple of tacos, had two chorizo and two, oh boy, what were the other two? Carnitas. Yeah, oh, the carnitas were so good. And, and as were the chorizos and got a margarita on the rocks. Perfect meal, you know, some uh, chips and homemade guac. That's just, I don't know, I haven't had some just like really good tacos in a while. So that for sure hit the spot. And it wasn't even Tuesday. But okay, besides food, foodies, we got some uh, films and filmmakers to talk about, okay? I, I know we've had, we I've had Liz Lockman on and, and, and of course her wife, Susan Feniger, and we talked Liz's documentary, Susan Feniger Forked. So we have, I have talked with a filmmaker in their film before, but I am talking with Sean Cisterna, and he is the director of a feature narrative film called From the Vine, which I will definitely, I got to find someone to specifically, you know, do a, a food-centric movie episode breakdown of that. I didn't want to just do that with Sean because I wanted to hear his story, his food upbringing, how he got into filmmaking, and of course this new film that stars Joe Pantoliano, good Jersey boy like me. So I was psyched to talk to him. And guys, this is the beauty of social media. I 
of I already was following Joe Pantoliano. I started following. He was posting about from the vine. I started following from the vine. Sean started following me, I believe, or maybe I followed him first. And then I just I, I reached out to him, and now we have this conversation recorded for all time. So here we go, me talking with Sean. Sean, thank you so much for joining me on Foodie Films. Awesome. So happy to be here. For the foodies out there, why don't you introduce yourself and we'll take it from there. All right. Well, my name is Sean Cisterna. I'm a film director from Toronto, Canada, and um, just recently made a film called From the Vine that's uh, available across the Canada and the United States on VOD. And I also have two films I directed on Netflix. One is called Kiss and Cry, and the other is called Full Out. And you can both find them on Netflix worldwide. So how's it going up in Canada right now? Is that I mean, is that where you grew up besides obviously living there currently? Uh, yeah. Um, so I grew up in uh, Ontario, so which is like in, uh, the main city you would know is Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. We have, yeah, my family's lived here uh, my whole life, so... Grew up in the in the eighties here. Um, yeah, I, I had a, a kind of a, a mixed childhood. My uh, my dad's Italian, my mom is Scottish, so I'm a bit of a co production kind of myself, just like the, <laughs> the film. Um, so yeah, I mean, our our food history is uh, pretty diverse between you know classic you know Canadian staples and meat and mashed potatoes plus the Italian side and all the uh, the seafood and pasta and and earthy ingredients so yeah a bit of both who is who is cooking mostly growing up um i feel like it was pretty uh evenly split between uh my mom's side and my dad's side so uh okay I, yeah i recall on like the major holidays we would definitely have to go to the uh the italian side because they celebrated it uh on in european time so it was first and then we could go to uh, <laughs> uh my mom's side which is the canadian side and, and had a whole other uh semi like normal christmas I always figured the Italian, I always considered the Italian side as the abnormal side and the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> did you do the whole, uh, seven fishes and everything? Yeah, or? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Every, every Christmas. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. That's, uh, I, I like the diversity there. I, I grew up, I, I use, I call it the normal. So I grew up in North New Jersey. Uh, and, it, and I say that just because it's just such, uh, I feel like different, even as small of a state as New Jersey is. I just grew up in very much like the quintessential suburbs of New York. And it's predominantly where I grew up. If if you're white, you are German, Irish, Italian, usually like the combo of those three. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was like my eating heritage gro- growing up. Like Italian was the exotic, I always say. Yeah, nice. <laughs> okay, we lived a similar lifestyle. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> So growing up in Ontario, I mean, what was it? You said you're you know, your child of the 80s. I mean, what was the I feel like, you know, everywhere right now is getting kind of like a food renaissance and people are just making much more of an endeavor and just trying to create a, a spotlight on their city or their area. Like, is is there obviously I, mean, I feel like the first thing that comes to mind when people hear canada and think of food they think of like poutine but what were you what what were you growing up in like the canadian food sense oh god uh the canadian food sense i mean um (laughs) you know when times were tight uh i'm sure you've heard of craft dinner which is our national pasta and (laughs) university students uh live on but um no i mean 
uh, I'm trying to think of like something authentically Canadian that we can chat about, but uh, it's like Nanaimo bars. Have you heard of those? They're these no, I haven't. No. no, it's like a, okay. a layered uh, pastry, I suppose, of, of chocolate and all the all this good sugary goodness, and uh, comes from Nanaimo, BC. Um, but as for other Canadian staples, no, man, you're, you're we're so close in, in proximity that it's like we, you know, we. Yeah. borrow a bit of your identity and, and, and uh, <laughs> but that's why you know we feel like natural you know brothers mm-hmm. and sisters across the border especially the northern states yeah yeah you're just our friendlier quieter neighbor yeah. of the north that's just <laughs> <laughs> we like it here <laughs> i'm sure a lot more people would like it in canada now than uh, the current state of yes. our uh, country but i'm not going to get into politics okay. but uh but but i mean just during this uh, during the pandemic, I mean, how has it been for you? What I mean, what have you been up to? And then, uh, obviously, in the filmmaking world as well. Um, you know, so our neighbors and I actually, actually, because we're all in a you know our own little bubble, and you know, if we're only gonna if we're gonna hang out with some people, it would be like people close to us on our street. So um, mm-hmm. we we started this uh, international food night where we draw a oh. country out of a hat, and then each couple makes you know an appetizer from the said one country a main from another country and a dessert from that's fun country so it's always a very eclectic meal on, on those uh monthly dinners but um it, it allows <laughs> us to uh i don't know get out of our comfort zone and try new uh new techniques that you wouldn't otherwise have uh, tried or, or tasted for that matter uh i like that a lot were there ever any um weird comp not weird combinations meaning like obviously there was the entree and the dessert that you're like i don't want to have that after eating that or um, <laughs> was it usually yeah uh i recall we had like a, a a laksa noodle soup from from thailand i think i pulled that one uh uh-huh. and then it was uh followed by this you know noodly vermicelli uh type uh dessert it was uh mm-hmm. a bizarre combination like a chinese <laughs> uh yeah um bubble tea infused it was a very weird combo that did not necessarily go together so you like to cook though that's yeah that's great yeah it's it's so similar to to filmmaking in the sense that you know i just saw this um the movie big night for the first time i'm sure you're uh, oh yeah yeah we've covered that yeah. yeah yeah um so that was one of my black hole movies i hadn't seen it i needed to rectify it during the pandemic so but mm-hmm. just the similarities in uh you know chefs um um striving to use the very best ingredients it's, it's kind of like filmmakers striving for the best shots and all the ingredients you know um when combined together make a fabulous recipe just like all the shots in our films combined to what we hope is a fulfilling viewing experience so i've you know i felt like i feel like this um i don't know this symmetry with uh the culinary world definitely i i always for the foodies that are listening i i always say stuff like that because i i just always have felt a connection to the food world or the in the restaurant industry kitchen culture because they're just such collaborative endeavors that you just have people that are working you have your you know your saucier you have your chef de cuisine and then you even have like how important i mean they they 
make a point of this in the movie Ratatouille, how important the dishwasher is. And you could say that for mm, yeah. obviously you could, yeah. you could say that for the P the PAs in the production Absolutely. world. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's Definitely. a good uh, analogy for sure. But that's, that's pretty cool that you guys were doing all those dishes during a uh, pretty terrible time, but definitely a good time to explore and try new things. Uh, I've, I had one guest on here, uh, George Motes. He's the, uh, been acclaimed as the America's burger expert. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, something he uh, likes to do with his kids is, and he, he lives in Brooklyn. And so there's just obviously so many restaurant options in just Brooklyn and Manhattan. And they'll spin a globe and wherever their finger lands in whatever country, they try that cuisine. Oh, that fantastic. Night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, so I just, it's a great I just way love to travel, fun. isn't it? It feels like it's a taste bud way to travel for sure. <laughs> for sure and so yeah look when it comes to filmmaking when i mean what were you watching growing up and when did you kind of go like i want to i want to work in this oh field? right um well certainly uh you know i was a kid when i saw et for the first time um mm-hmm. and you know i came out of the theater crying and uh you know when et went home and i just uh, i knew then like that the, the power of uh, something that you've just experienced uh, the power of a movie the power of of cinema when it's when it's at its top form and it, that if that has the ability to draw those emotions out of a person i mean that i knew from a very young age that i wanted at least was interested in this enough to seek out like um you know what this medium was all about and um, how could you create it yeah. and get involved in it were you just i mean i know at least for me i was just always interested in telling stories was that even was that the aspect or to you were you really focusing on visuals at first or i think it was just the um, at first it was the not so much storytelling i kind of learned that uh afterwards um but Mm -hmm. for me it was the 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 blending of all the different art forms right it it, filmmaking is, is like theater plus photography plus um, music and and um, visual art all kind of combined into into one um, into one succinct form that uh, mm-hmm. that can just be and it, you know what I loved about the um, industry is that it's um, something new every day like I figured like every day um, wouldn't be the same and obviously when I started working in the in the the field I I knew that to be true every day is totally different there's a whole new set of challenges and creative obstacles to overcome but that's the um you know while you can't really prepare for every day because it is so different it's it's um the ability to think creatively and and solve problems like that is uh is pretty compelling yeah i i've worked in many different departments i've only worked on a few films but uh a lot of my early work i worked on uh reality shows Mm. (laughs) and uh you know some of them one one of them was top chef and a lot of them were you know challenge based so it was always i i got a really great appreciation for time management on that and the the ad department and what they were trying to do and uh i mean this is a story i've shared before but uh one of my professors in college she was a season one writer on the show mad men and so she had uh one of the directors come in and i asked him what's a you know advice you could give a, a young film student such as myself and he said just get to know and not not become obviously a, a master but 
just know and appreciate as many departments as you can. Is that something that you feel? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the great thing about uh, going through through film school is that you all work on each other's films. And so that gives you mm-hmm. the ability or the um, the experience to like to hold a boom mic and, and know how close to get to the actors when you're trying to record yes, clean yeah. sound. And then there's we also um had to be part of the art department as well and and kind of know what goes into filling uh, every corner of the frame when you're when you're actually shooting it and so having all these different um experiences in the industry getting into the shoes of other departments really gives you a um not only an, a strong understanding of of the, the process and, and what they do but a, an appreciation of uh the skill involved in in in, uh, in doing so in each position so how did you get your start in the industry uh i think it was my like third year of of university we were um in a, in a film studio in, in toronto uh so during the summer months when the students were no longer there this pbs kids show would come in and, and take over the studio and uh i happened to see a posting in our department one day that the pbs was hiring students to work on the show so i thought this would be a great foyer into the um, bridge into the industry so I, I ripped down all these signs in the uh in the lobby and, and kind of cheated, cheated my way into the industry i hate to admit it but that's basically what it was um, it's a it's a it's a doggy dog industry know, sometimes I know. <laughs> but I, to this day i feel bad that i was the only like student at, in my department to get the uh the job and what um what really worked out in that case was that that PBS uh, kid show producer hired me, you know, like a decade later for my first like Netflix movie. So, um, okay. it was a, it was a, you know, a relationship that, that lasted, um, the better part of a, a decade or almost 15 years as, as we made project after project together. So, um, it was, a yeah, definitely a good day to walk by that department in university all those years ago and, and find that poster. I wouldn't have a career otherwise i don't think <laughs> i mean that's but that's you know it's it's interesting when you know when just talking about the industry with a lot of people and i mean right right now my predominant work as as a uh, freelance camera operator is mostly like talking head interview kind of stuff and I, I you know i would love to work on independent films and besides you know pandemic excluded uh you know it's kind of it's a tough nut to crack sometimes but um just even getting work i feel like it's just such a combination of you know it you know who you know the your your talent level your work ethic and then just right time right place i mean that's most of my work, if I was going to do a whole follow the ripple back is because of in college, uh, my, I had a, you know, my freshman year of college, I took a first year seminar class that was film criticism. And that person becomes your advisor for the, uh, for the rest of college. And he was making a low budget horror film on campus that summer and most students that took his class were just taking it because it's easy and to watch movies but he saw i was genuinely interested so he asked me if i wanted to work on it and then his 
he worked at the campus, but his brother was a full-time DP. And so I started getting work from him. And then it just all from there is just ripple effect and then working on other projects. And then people see that you're a hard worker and they ask you, oh, you want to come on to this next project with me? And that's, I mean, at least that my experience, that's what it's been like. I, I wish there was a, a website I could go to to teach something like that, but it's true. There, there are no channels to getting a, a job in the industry. It is a series mm-hmm. of, of ripple effects, like you said. And I'm glad to know that the American experience is the same as the Canadian one, because it is a combination of work ethic and, and luck and, and creative timing and uh, yeah, availability. All these factors kind of come in to, to say whether you, you know, get the job that day or not. Oh, yeah. Just juggling, you know, as a, as a freelancer, just juggling what jobs I say yes to. And sometimes I'll say yes to a, a job that's just a one day gig but then i'll get a call that's conflicting with that and it's multiple days and you gotta kind of pick and choose and not burn the wrong bridges with certain people uh because in the end it's it's people and you know people can get offended when you say oh no and then you have to find find them find them a replacement and it's just a whole it's yeah it's a it's a tricky field but then once my just my happiest memories are working on a set and i just as you were saying earlier just working with a bunch of people bunch of departments and then i mean obviously most of the time i'm not going on into the post-production of whatever project it is but then you get to see it on whether it's tv or just a web video or something like that and it's just like wow that's cool and you get to see it from a whole different perspective yeah and i, I you know i it, what the rare chances that you do get to see theater i'm always like kind of i don't want to say disappointed afterwards but there's no physical proof that you experience that theater that night and i suppose that's what the beauty of going to the theater is but i the fact mm-hmm. that you know in film there's a, a living record or a, a, a archival copy of this <laughs> work that you did and um it, it lives there kind of forever um but maybe that's the thrill of the theater. I just I don't appreciate that as much as uh, having a tangible copy of uh, of you know an artist's work afterwards. So when it comes to filmmaking and being a director, I mean, what was it like the first time you directed? What were you, what what were you feeling? Were you nervous? Did you have like a weight on your shoulders? Or were did, you just yes? The first yeah. <laughs> um, I made a movie for uh, you know a national broadcaster here in, in Canada, like a. Um, it was called YTV, and I think I stepped on the set uh, the day after I found out that it was, you know, budgeted at over a million dollars, so that I was responsible for this project, and I, I just <laughs> threw up in the parking lot. So I got one heave out of the way and was able to go about the rest of the day and kind of finish the project, and it was a a good success. But I just feel like the that that first day with all that knowing the pressure of the the amount of money people have invested in, in making this project happen and it's it was all up to me to kind of get it started uh and kind of ensure the day was made that was a lot of pressure that you know just <laughs> showed itself in you know vomit form <laughs> now i mean what's your what's your process as a director um i think um when i first uh got into the industry I, I assumed it would be this amazing collaborative process with with actors but then mm-hmm. as soon as you start to get the budgets that you know lower budget filmmakers are even blessed to have like you just realize your time with the actors kind of goes out the window and they're 
if you're lucky to get a couple of days in, in pre-production and kind of talk about the character and uh, just to get on the same wavelength as the actor so that when you show up, they're not um, throwing something uh, that is like a curveball to you. Mm -hmm. There's just, um, there's not as much time to be creative and, and work on a character with actors as you think, because you have so little money and so few days to shoot a project that, uh, stuff like that, all that, you know, directing stuff kind of goes out the window and you're kind of just using your time to the best of the ability to get the most creative shots you can. Um, and, you know, uh, giving equal time to each department and, and you know, setting up the cinematographer for a shot, and then going to talk to the art department to ensure that uh, you know the color palette is consistent and everything. All the you know props have been <laughs> placed for the actors. <laughs> so it's um, yeah, it's it's hard. I think it's so difficult in the in the lower budget world to um, to to use your time like so effectively. That that's such the that's such a challenge for. Uh, for, for filmmakers in general trying to manage the time that they're kind of blessed to have to, to get the the copious amounts of shots and, and uh, uh, footage that you need to kind of construct a scene. That's uh, the thrill of it, too. <laughs> yeah, I... Um, bat, oh, boy, this is longer ago than I'd like to say because <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed by it, but about uh, at least seven years ago now, I directed, I, I co-wrote the story and a friend of mine wrote the screenplay and we directed, a. I, I directed a feature film that I still unfortunately haven't finished. Um, it's got a rough cut. I should just kind of release it as is version, I feel like at this point <laughs> okay. and just, but <laughs> we all have those but, there. Uh, yeah yeah similar. but just as far as you know color correcting and audio that portion of post-production was just just such a, a a brunt and i uh unfortunately haven't finished it yet i i wish um you know hindsight and you can always say oh, i'll finish it then i'll finish it then but i really did i wish i took advantage of the earlier months of the pandemic and just kind of worked on it then but uh I just feel bad because again, it's such a collaborative effort. And I mean, we all, we were paying for it out of our pockets and most of our actors worked for free. Yeah, and yeah. I, and, and when they were asking for stuff for their reels, I, I would give them some shots and stuff like that. But I, the, just the finish, you know, the final product isn't uh, finalized yet, but mm -hmm. hopefully I'll finish that yeah, someday. It'll happen. It's meant to, you gotta get to <laughs> festivals around the world. That's the, I mean, that's the part I miss most about the, uh, the industry now is that we were in the middle of touring from the vine uh kind of around the world and uh you know we went to the all over the u.s we went to europe and and um uh, we were starting to be to to get invited to these festivals that had food components to it as well so there's a, a festival yeah. in halifax called the devour festival that kind of Ooh, mix, I like the sound that of that. kind of mixes food and film together and for a unique experience for the audience so we really, um, yeah, we're we're just getting used to that lifestyle of traveling the world and uh, and going and experiencing these uh, these different cuisines um, when the pandemic hit, and then it kind of uh, put our release plans on hold uh, until mm -hmm. we transition to like a video on demand release. So I don't know, I miss it. I can't wait till the world gets back to normal, as I'm sure everyone listening does. It's uh, I'm just dying to get back to the the saddle again because i do feel like you know i 
love doing what I do, as I'm sure uh, those in the culinary industry do as well. You mentioned some of your other films, Kiss and Cry, uh, Full Out. And so those are those are available, you said, on, on Netflix now. Yeah. And so what I mean, what I'm just interested, you, you, as you're kind of saying, the festival circuit. I mean, what is that process like as a filmmaker? Once once you have it, what were you finding it was the best course? I mean, to to get it seen. Ah, right. So, yeah, I mean, um, traveling with your your work is, uh, you know, the, one of the perks of the, the industry. And uh, but it also, you know, it's, it's certainly a nice thing to do. But there's often these uh, film markets at uh, at other festivals as well. So you not only can go to these countries and screen your work for, for an audience, um, you know, who you may not uh, have necessarily made it for, like you, you don't make a English comedy for um, an, uh, an European audiences because they might not mm-hmm. translate uh, this type of humor. Um, but uh, what we loved was the, yeah, that's like I said, showcasing our, our film to an audience and then being able to do some business a- afterwards at these markets where uh, distributors and, and broadcasters are looking to acquire films to, to screen in their territories. So it's, um, yeah, that, um, that that's the, the part of the business that kind of we're, we're lacking now, missing our, our uh, all these partners that we've made with um, met around the world and, and kind of spur these different filmmaking partnerships uh they've kind of all put on on hold at the moment and now with your latest film from the vine which so i just watched it uh last night and you know i rented it on amazon mm-hmm. and so food, foodies go out there and rent it uh, i absolutely loved it it's such a feel-good movie and especially a time where I say a lot pandemic excluded, but given that, I think we all need some feel good. But I just think that there aren't that many feel good movies kind of made these days. Like there's just overly, even if they're feel good, they just get too overly complicated. Uh, One of my biggest examples is, I don't know, and one of the biggest inspirations for this podcast is Jon Favreau's film, The Movie Chef. I don't know if you've seen it. Of course, of course. Yeah. And so I always say because to me that's a that's such a feel-good movie and a movie i just will watch at any point if it's on tv or i'll just put it on to have it also on in the background but uh, but i always say to people one of the reasons i like that movie is because i feel like if so many other people told that story the moment where he's on top of the truck in austin with his son and saying you know once we get back to la things are gonna unfortunately kind of go back to the way it was and i'm gonna be busy you're gonna have to go back to school and the son gets choked up and you know but he just you know it's it's a very nice sincere moment but i just feel like i've seen that moment turn into in so many other movies the kid running off and then they have to look for him and it just becomes this uh convoluted moment where in that movie it's just very straightforward pure emotional and i appreciate moments like that and to make a long story long i feel like your film had a lot of that heart as well yeah and i think that um now that you're you're saying this it's bringing up i'm trying to remember the uh the time where we kind of um started seriously talking about making this project i was just coming from a a festival in in whistler which is in uh, north vancouver it's a kind of like ski country in, in british columbia 
we um, met with a, a distributor there, uh, or there was a panel at this film festival, and they the distributor said, you know, we're striving or we're yearning for content made for seniors. Um, okay. And so uh, there was a, a lack of um, film starring, you know, someone over 60 and a relationship uh, of two characters in their 60s. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, they said there was such a need for these types of films that if you make one, it's, it's bound to find, find some success because of the, the appetite for them. And so when I was looking for a, a, a project to, to make that, that fit that description, then this, um, this book came across my desk called Finding Marco and it's written by this author, Ken Cancellara here in, in Toronto. So I was able mm-hmm. to meet with him and, uh, you know, kind of discuss the, you know, how uh, making a film of his, his work might go. And then um, it just kind of morphed into this uh, co-production between Canada and Italy, getting the, an Italian uh, producer on board to help see our vision as well. Um, so that's uh, the the beauty of these, these co-productions uh, that mm-hmm. our, our, our government, uh, Telefilm Canada can, um, has a number of treaties around the world where they can partner with other countries and kind of share the costs of making a film. And that's exactly what the, from the vine was. It was a co-production between Canada and, and Italy. And it was, a Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. So it's a really cool way to, um, you know, have a, a natural fit between uh, two countries and have them kind of work on one coherent project, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a way to, get out of your comfort zone as well and and you know we work with a a canadian crew and then flew them to italy and then peppered that production with uh, local actors and some canadian actors and it was mm-hmm. that's just the way these types of films come out you can never predict the <laughs> uh the experience that you'll have or the way it'll turn out but um it it often yields for some um you know moments that uh certainly you know are divine in nature sometimes <laughs> So my most important question for you is how much wine did you drink while making this movie? Well, well that was part of the research. So we had to <laughs> kind of forced to, to, to drink a lot while you're making a wine movie. Um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was this um, really, it was the type of wine, you know, we made a the film, you know, set in an Italian vineyard. So we had to have a wine component to it, obviously. Uh, so when yeah. we started doing our research and 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 flying over to uh, Acerenza, the the city where we shot the film, this little uh, city up in the top of a mountain. Uh, if you haven't seen the film, it's like two thousand uh, feet above sea level. Um, so it's this it's certainly very high up in the clouds, and there's often clouds uh, <laughs> that kind of touch the tip of the buildings, which is uh, so beautiful to kind of see and experience. What were the crew meals like? <laughs> it was all, uh, there's one restaurant in Acerenza that was open. So they were our caterer like morning, day and night. So, um, <laughs> but it was remarkable. Like, I mean, the, the, the meals were, were, uh, certainly very pasta based and, mm-hmm. uh, all local cheeses from the Basilicata region. And, but then there was wine every day for, uh, for lunch as well. So something we're totally not used to and, and on a North American film set. Um, but but that's why I love those little differences between working in, you know, North America versus Europe. Uh, Mm -hmm. the Italians love to have like a, you know, just an extra long lunch break with a bit of wine. Um, it's the way to do it. Never work on a Sunday. It was, uh, it was really, uh, 
an instrument or an experience in um, what's the word uh, falling the rules of another country, you know, kind of the <laughs> when in Rome experience. So it was nice to just kind of be forced into working that way. Now, I know you, you said that your uh, dad is Italian, but had you ever been to Italy before this project? And do, do you, I mean, do you speak any Italian? Because, I mean, a decent amount of the film is in Italian. It is, yeah. Um, io parlo in poco di... Uh, <laughs> no, I know. My Italian is horrible. I, I, even though it's my ancestry and I can read it and understand it and I've done documentaries in Italian, it's just uh, a language that I can't quite... Uh, pick up the, the the rhythm for um <laughs> it's okay i don't yeah. speak any of my uh <laughs> languages a, as well yeah i always language. yeah when uh when i've 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 visited all three uh italy germany and ireland and uh i i understood the irish the least actually <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> no, not to, no but uh when i was in when i was in germany the the a lot of countries obviously there's they are they're so much better than uh, than we are and they know how to speak english as well so it's very easy but my my ongoing joke in germany when i i would uh i would say sprechen sie deutsch and they're like yeah and they're like you sprechen sie deutsch and i would go un poquito uh, <laughs> spanish <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> but um so Turning this from a book into the screenplay, I mean, is it a pretty uh, similar adaptation or as yeah. far as what was that journey like? So, um, yeah, so the, the the book was very introspective, as I recall. So you, it was very difficult to to write something to externalize, you know, what a, a character is feeling internally. So, mm-hmm. um you know, if you haven't seen the film, it's a story about this, uh, you know, this um, down on his luck CEO who suffers a moral crisis and uh, quits his job and then retreats to his hometown in Southern Italy to, uh, to only to discover a vineyard on its dying legs. And this, um, the Mark, the lead character played by Joe Pantoliano when he, uh, he tries to recruit the local townsfolk into uh, running in, in uh, a burgeoning new uh, vineyard and winery uh, and kind of uh, mm-hmm. allowing this town that he's going back to his hometown of Acerenza to be a kind of a sustainable community. So that's his, uh, what he's aspiring to in, in the film. But the challenge was to ex- externalize that. So we, the, the way the book differs from the film is that in the film we have all these, um, objects kind of coming to life and personifying uh traits in 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 joe and in, in mark the uh mm-hmm. the character that he's um has something to interact with so it's not just his inner monologue the whole time and so you know statues come to life when uh comes back to town and then the vine vine <laughs> leaves as he's tending them will start speaking to him and uh insulting him so there's a lot of this magical realism in the film where these inanimate objects kind of come to life. And uh... I, I love that. I love, I love the humor in the film, even the, the winking of the moon. And like you're saying, the statues, the, the vines and, oh God, what's the um, one character, Mar- Marcello. Oh, Marcello, uh, yeah. Marcello Marcello and just, uh, and, the, and then even Enzo saying like, oh, you're hearing the vines, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah uh, <laughs> so the um one one of the other things that the uh that distributor i met at that festival said is that you know the senior audience uh they tend not to like uh, too much conflict and they like more mm-hmm. lighthearted moments so that was another conversation i recalled when adapting the script it's not really a comedic book by any means like i said it's more focused on on ethics and uh and um introspection which isn't uh room for a lot of, of comedy but um we our screenwriter willem wenneker's uh took a more lighthearted and fun approach to the the adaptation which i think is uh has served us well at least in uh, in audiences minds yeah i just really enjoyed it again because of the the heart that was there and i think it's just a real good slice of life just this you know specific moment of this character's journey you know we meet as you said like we're meeting him right when he's having this moral crisis of taking over this uh car company and uh you know that he made a promise to his dying boss and that's just not going to happen with the this this board that he has to deal with and so he just quits and <laughs> but you know his wife thinks that it's gonna be this just ro- simple romantic dinner and they seem to be in a rut and he just is wants to escape to italy i just right away my mind went to when she, when she didn't join him was just like i wonder and seeing the conditions of his grandfather's estate or you know the, in the vineyard yeah. the house and him having to jump over the fence i'm like i wonder what would have happened if right away uh uh, marina went with him to italy <laughs> and he and she saw him getting arrested by his childhood friend right. and then having to just getting drunk at that party then jumping the fence and everything that came with that uh it i think would she... have uh, been a short film for sure yeah <laughs> if life just so, kind of worked out like that yeah yeah. <laughs> so what was it like uh was it that the first time you met Joe Pantoliano or is as we he's a good Jersey boy from North yes, Jersey Cliff, right. Cliff, Cliffside Park. Uh he's actually one of my one of my best friends from college. Uh his dad grew up with Joe Pantoliano and then I've seen him a few times. There's this very famous deli in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is right next to Jersey City where I live. And uh and Joe Pantoliano goes in there because it's very famous for it's mozzarella and stuff like yeah. that. So he, he, sh- he shows face in there every once in a yeah. while and always has a talk with them. And as we, you know, admiringly call him Joey Pants. So what was it like working with him? Because he is he is your lead in this movie. You know, he is very much carrying this film. There's so many great characters, but it's really it's I mean, it's, it's his story. Yeah, Joe was uh, an absolute um, nightmare. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, kidding. No, he was uh, he was wonderful. He was um, he uh, came so well prepared uh, for the the uh, for each day of shooting, um, mm-hmm. and totally constructed a character kind of within the week. He got the gig like a about a, a week before. He loves to tell a story at festivals. Um, uh, he's very self depreciative, so he he. <laughs> He got the script uh, after we sent it to him and then, he, you know, he's reading the script. He's on page four and then he calls his agent and says, what, what are you talking about? These guys, they, uh, they gave me the wrong part. This is I'm, this character they want me for is a lead. And uh, <laughs> the agent said, no, they, they do want you. And Joe said, uh, I, he, he thought it was a joke that we offered him the lead. He, he was just so uh, moved that we offered him <laughs> a leading role. And, uh, I, you know, he's just, told the whole audience at this festival that you know what am i there 
I know you're. I'm not your number eight choice. Like he'll be so <laughs> self depreciating and doesn't uh, realize his true value in uh, certainly in cinema history. He's a great guy, great actor. Yeah, he just. I mean, he always you know pops up and usually supporting roles and just such a great character actor. So it was, I really enjoyed watching him in this lead role because I, I'd like to attribute to his uh, Italian and uh, Jersey heritage that he just comes across as such a great everyday kind of guy like someone that you feel like you'd meet in a bar and you just strike up and have a great conversation with yeah that's a great thing i, I was growing up and, and seeing joe in in uh, in roles that are you know certainly very brash characters or you know um you know cops and, and wise guys those sort of roles but to offer him mm-hmm. like a you know kind of a, a the romantic lead in the film and, and, yeah. and whisk him away to Italy. It was, also, it was almost like a, you know, when you hand that on a, a platter to an actor, you kind of hope that they kind of bite and, and go on this journey with you. And, and um, luckily Joe was uh, willing to go on the adventure with us. I know the the book was called, like you said, finding Marco. So from the vine, I mean, there's that great song that plays along yeah. with the, you know, in it, was that where the title came from or was that just a happy, happy, I that's, always love when there's moments like that. That's exactly it. Uh, I was sitting at uh, a local pub with the, the screenwriter and uh, Paula mm-hmm. Brancati who plays uh, Laura in the film. Uh, she's also one of the producers in the movie. Um, so we were all sitting together and just, you know, um, I think we started talking about pretty woman and how, you know, we should name our movie after a song. We're trying Mm -hmm. to think of all the wine songs that kind of existed and, uh, (laughs) red, red wine didn't sound good. And, uh, uh, so we, then we came across the song by a band called the Gaylords in the 1950s called from the vine came the grape. And, uh, that was where we uh, took the. You know, actually, when there, our shooting script was called From the Vine Came the Grape. And then uh, okay. when we started screening at festivals uh, back in July 2019. Um, it was called From the Vine Came the Grape. And uh, and people kept saying, uh, what was that movie called? They, they could never remember the six the whole thing, yeah, titles. Yeah. So we shortened it. Well, it's it's just great. I mean, it's I, I love obviously when a, when a song can you know play a part in the like the title of the movie and um and the vines as you said then your screenwriter who who you've collaborated with before right he also that's right worked yeah. on Kiss and Cry and Fallout that's right um just him adding that humor of the of the vine speaking and it's just it just works so well and. Another thing I really loved about the film is how how you are saying it's for you were told like there's a a certain age group that just doesn't feel like they're being represented in films because mm-hmm. it is tough. I mean, once you once you start like you go I, the first film, if you ask me about like a more senior group film, I would think like Cocoon. Okay, no, I was just gonna say that. <laughs> Don't, don't you dare say cocoon. <laughs> um, yeah, there's like the best exotic marigold hotel. Yes. Like oh, yes. Um, exactly. That, uh, that, um, that do uh, really well. So it's not only the acting, um, the actor's perspective that they're not getting the roles like uh, of, of senior roles. It's also just the underserved market, like the um, mm-hmm. yes. senior community who's looking for a good time at the movies and 
you know, doesn't want to be bothered with, uh, you know, Avengers six or, or whatever. <laughs> and something that works really well with, I, I know much more with, um, while I've been to Italy, I've, I've only been to Rome and I've been to Spain much more. And I know something that's happening in Spain is kind of what happened to this town in Italy that your movie is about that all the young people are leaving and moving to the cities and there's just nothing left and people just can't handle the workload of the in this case this vineyard in the movie but he comes in and kind of revitalizes it and gives people yeah good faith and gives them something i don't want to say something to live for but definitely no, something, something to, to like to sustain yeah, themselves some, with yeah to sustain themselves with and feel like i mean something that i really struggled with during the pandemic was feeling like i was contributing i just i have a lot of um my mom works in, uh, she's a nurse. I have a friend that's a paramedic. My girlfriend is a photojournalist. So I just have a lot of people that, you know, were deemed these essential workers and I'm, you know, at home and <laughs> not do, not doing anything. And so I just, yeah, felt like I wasn't really contributing. So I can definitely sympathize with these characters that they're just kind of hungry and no pun intended thirsty for something. And, uh, and you get the character of Marco coming back and I just love his whole journey and just, reminiscing with you know first with um luca and then marcello and then just his family coming and just the the magic of it all also reminded me of midnight in paris just showing how beautiful that city can be and just the enchantment of that there definitely is an enchant and obviously not the magical realism that of midnight in paris but there is an enchantment and just such a you guys just show that town as you were describing before just how beautiful in the in the landscape of it all how, how it's just so easy to fall in love with it there yeah i mean even when we crossed the uh the the region like we landed in one region puglia then drove to basilicata which is where acerenza the town we shot at was uh was situated in. and you know as soon as you start seeing these rolling hills in the distance and these uh, old medieval towns on top of uh, mountains uh, you know you're in a a special place and it did feel mm. um a little disheartening to you know to go into these beautiful cities with all this rich history and then see property valued at like a few thousand euros um I'm just desperate for for um occupants to to buy them and kind of revitalize them i guess that's why mm-hmm. uh the property's um you know going for less than it's worth is just because like i said no like you said nobody is uh considering these small towns as um you know places to to build a career so they uh the property's values just go down and they're they're looking for just uh someone to to take them over and, and kind of you know love them again how hard was it to to leave once you guys were done shooting? Were you like, we can do post here as well? <laughs> yeah, I you know. I think uh, and uh, and just to be catered to by Italians for like a month was was amazing. <laughs> um, no, we really fell in love with the the the, the town as a as a location and uh, just as our living quarters as well. So, um, the 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 mayor was super helpful i recall this uh his name's fernando scatone and he would have this uh whatsapp group full of uh of most most of the people in acerenza so whenever we needed something whether it would be a you know a, a wine making prop or a few extras to be in the background this uh, mayor mm-hmm. would text the community and he'd have hundreds of responses of people wanting to help 
and just kind of be a part of the film. So that's um, something we're not used to in North America, <laughs> for sure. Like if our <laughs> mayor texted a group and asked uh, some of someone in the, the film industry needed a hand, like and a lot of invoices would be sent out first, I think. Uh, yeah. It's just, Every, you you just, I mean, everybody <laughs> wants to be paid. <laughs> the film industry, yeah, the you... filmmakers are kind of a, a nuisance <laughs> on people and traffic for the most part. So, but you know, in small towns like this, that everyone just kind of wants to help and, um, you know, kind of just to, they're so appreciative of their, of their living space, their, their land being immortalized in a film. So it's, uh, they, they really put in the effort to make us, uh, make our experience, um, a helpful one. Now, I know you said your traveling was cut short due to the pandemic, but, uh, were you able to show it there or do you know if they kind of had like a town screening? I would just yeah. love to. Um, we went back, uh, we were doing some other festivals in Italy and we decided to, to drive out of our, uh, along the, out of our way from two different festivals and we screened it in Acerenza. We thought we'd have a, a screening or two. And then it just kept selling out and selling out. And we did had to do like eight screenings in a row. Just in Oh, wow. Theater. That's awesome. And That's so great. Yeah, it was great. Uh, they just um, invited their, you know, the even um, neighboring uh, cities would, would uh, want to come out and kind of experience the, the film because they heard what that was happening 100 kilometers away sort of thing. Um it's so like it's the a, it's like the it's text nice. it's like the text chain of uh, right. was it, of, G, of geo. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Um no, but it was uh yeah, certainly traveling with the film has been definitely a memorable experience. Oh, this one festival in in Poland that Joe and I went to. Um yeah, Joey was doing a, a retrospective of the the Matrix and then Oh wow. The, then the festival programmers programmed our film. And it was in uh, end of November last year. It was on my birthday. Yeah. So then at one night after, uh, after from the vine screened, uh, they invited, we had a reception. They invited me into this room, these Polish film, uh, organizers and everyone started, they wheeled in a cake and everyone stood up and sang happy birthday in Polish, which was very bizarre. But when I looked across <laughs> the room, Roman Polanski was singing happy birthday to me as well. Wow. It was the most surreal experience. That's, he had a film in the festival as well. Uh, that's crazy. That one that caused controversy last year yeah. at, uh, at the Venice. But uh, yeah, it was so weird to see Roman Polanski in the, in the same room. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Anyway, that was kind of a, a, a highlighted memory of our, of our festival tour hopefully once we get back to normal i mean i know obviously like i said i watched on amazon so it is out there for people to watch now but it'd be great for you guys to be able to continue to show it and just have those experiences because uh i mean there's a you know festival in new york city the film food festival that um like the same guy that i mentioned before that spins the globe uh and you know yeah. wherever they land they have that so he <laughs> george uh motes he he's in charge of it and what they do. I think I, I don't think they do feature films, but it's, so it's usually short films and they have the chefs that are like whoever was cooking it on the food on camera, they serve that food as you're watching it. And so it's oh kind God, of like so a whole, cool. it's a whole 4d, you know, experience. Yeah. Uh, Actually the, today, um, today's the 19th of October, right? Yes, it is. Yes. Um, yeah. So when we're recording this podcast right now, our, our film is playing at the 
Athens Culinary Food and Film Festival as well. Oh, wow. So it's in, in Greece right now. Um, so, yeah, from the 19th to the 21st, they have all these food themed films from around the uh around the world and that's happening in <laughs> athens right now so if you're listening from greece you can you can see our film if you head you up very very quickly <laughs> have you attempted to make wine since uh m- finishing oh, God, this no. <laughs> <laughs> that is a long arduous process that takes a lot of <laughs> skill and, and science and there is a liquor store right down the street there you and, go uh, that works <laughs> too <laughs> yeah when mark and uh, marina when they come back and they're all purple, I mean, uh, that's, oh, yeah. <laughs> that seemed like a fun pro- part of the process. <laughs> yes. And that was day one of filming too. So. Really? Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. fun. That's always, I, I always yeah. enjoy hearing like those, you know, moments of what was day one or what was, you know, the, oh, God. I could just, what was the martini Joe, shot? Like, you know, <laughs> Joe was like, you, flim- you, you take me away from my family. You fly me to Italy. You paint me fucking purple on day one. <laughs> I love. I just love hearing what comes out of Joey's mouth in these situations. Yeah. Again, for all the foodies that are listening, please uh, find from the vine and watch it. I can't recommend it enough because you feel good after you watch it. And you want to drink? Definitely, I recommend having wine and cheese and just any delicious food at hand. That's always the biggest thing I find with all these food centric movies or drink centric movies. Right afterwards, you're all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, crap! I gotta cook something or I gotta order something. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you can find the wine, it's uh, it's a type of varietal only grown in that region in Italy in the Basilicata region. So it's called. Uh, Alianico del Vulture. So if you can Ooh. pronounce that at, at your local uh, uh, wine store, then uh, then see if you can find that Alianico del Vulture. So it's grown in this volcanic soil in in uh, in, in southern Italy, uh, and so it's a, a rich kind of dark, smoky flavor almost. And it's um, yeah, it's, it's really. Uh, stunning to uh, to be in those vineyards and, and seeing the the ways in which uh, the the old winemakers kind of uh, bring their their wines to life, so to speak. Awesome! I'm definitely gonna grab a bottle or two. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I mean, we've obviously we've talked of foodie film already, but I did uh, normally on these first cut episodes we talk a a food scene from like a non-food centric movie and you had you sent me some of your favorite films uh searching for sugarman life is beautiful the 400 blows blue velvet the exorcist all fantastic films but right away life is beautiful um and i and i asked people what you know i just said your top five films and some people will ask back now food films and i'm like no because there's just food is just so inherently a part of all of us that uh, a film actually that you know is obviously not about food the matrix with uh joe pantliano he has such mm-hmm. a terrific scene in that movie where he's describing the taste of steak and he's like i know That's this right. is i know this isn't real but this is so it's like his corrupted moment where you then he betrays everybody and we've we've talked about that scene on this podcast so it's moments like that that you don't obviously you don't think the matrix is a food movie but they just that's just one of the better scenes to kind of explain people's yeah. love of food. So, yeah. um, life is beautiful. The, you know, Roberto Benini's character is a waiter and there's just a lot of great food scenes in that film. But one I particularly love is, 
earlier on when uh i guess a customer comes in and i don't know if you remember this specific scene but they're about to close the kitchen is closed and the i guess the the manager says like oh he w- he would have given you a big tip and he's just like okay the kitchen's back open and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know it's it's that that is just such a a roller coaster of a movie as far as emotions i mean you know he ended up w- winning best actor for that role i believe Yes, that's right. Best actor and best director, or was it? Uh, I think that they, he won both of those in the, in the same year. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and best director. Um, but yeah, just like the balance of obviously, you know, once the story goes into the Holocaust and concentration camps, but just still the 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 lightness because that game that he's playing with his son. But especially earlier in the film when he's just a, a waiter at this restaurant, it's just. Yeah, it's almost like two separate films. It's this charming, uh, sweet, almost romantic comedy at first mm-hmm. for the first uh, first hour. It's, it's uh, Benini falling in love with uh, uh, the Nicoletta Braschi character. <laughs> Dor- Dora? Dora? Dora. Dora, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, just him falling in love and, and kind of uh, solidifying their relationship. But then it goes very dark very quickly and said it's almost like two movies kind of spliced right down the middle mm-hmm. yeah and it just i remember that was like my first date movie in, in university uh, oh wow to impress my uh now wife uh samantha okay um, I'm, a, I'm a film <laughs> student now and i'm taking you to a foreign film and, uh, oh isn't that great that. i had the same moments yeah. too where you're yes. just like you know those films i mean even uh as you, you said one of your favorite films blue velvet that's a film i remember like watching in college for the first time because that's when at least for me uh when i you start getting to more eclectic uh filmmakers like david lynch <laughs> yep <laughs> it's true it's true uh are there food connections in these ones though i didn't yeah you didn't specifically ask me food films I no no that, no exactly and that's no and that's why uh yeah, just true. saying life is beautiful well i guess we could, we could always it is yeah. uh halloween is upon us the the exorcist with the split pea soup uh vomit absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was just gonna say that yeah no but that's those are for it's behind the scenes story not the uh the on-screen uh, exactly aspect but no but those are just uh, i i like talking and just whether however short or long we we talk about them i just like bringing up examples of while there are food centric movies because when i was starting this podcast i kind of made a list and made some rules for myself like what is a food centric movie well i mean obviously if the movie's about food or if the if the main character works in the industry somehow or if the movie takes place in a restaurant or mm-hmm. uh, you know or even like like the movie clerks to me is even uh, you know a, a food movie just working i i grew up working at a deli and working you know a store like that but then i realized there's so many movies like i mean goodfellas has endless food i i almost considered it a like a food centric movie but in the end there's just so many food driven scenes in the, in in that film just from i suppose yeah, stir, yeah. stirring the sauce and, then, and um, cooking in jail <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think of blue, a blue velvet connection there's uh i remember uh dennis hopper's character frank uh, always drank uh, paps blue ribbon so i remember there was always that specific yeah that he would, uh, yeah yeah the pbrs drink, so. and then the fa- yeah. in the famous scene with the with the mask i think he's sipping on uh bourbon or whiskey or scotch mm. some kind of brown <laughs> and, and just stirring that around it's just it's just you know food and drink they're just such a part of our lives yeah. they're just always present in films as well mm-hmm. and something for that uh 
400 blows which is a, a french film from the 60s i can't picture anything other than cigarettes <laughs> french people in the 60s cigarettes. i'm sure some coffee too you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> well last but not least we have our little segment called gut instincts so these are just questions that kind of whatever comes to you first okay favorite fast food favorite fast food oh um, oh god supermarket sushi it's so, <laughs> it's so risky but like, you know, when, when there's a craving i i will seek that out you can clearly it's late at night late night craving yeah. <laughs> you can clearly tell that this is a podcast hosted by an american with that being, <laughs> with that being the first question uh go to alcoholic beverage Ooh, uh i will have a rum and coke Ooh, rum and coke yeah nice favorite childhood snack oh uh joe louis do you have those those i don't american think thing? so so it's like this um this small chocolate puffy pastry that they would put in kids lunches uh back, okay. back in the day i mean we have all like the hostess stuff here and mm, like okay. that kind of those those cupcakes okay. but <laughs> sweet or savory uh sweet yeah. I'm, I'm right i'm right there with you yeah. more and more it's like obviously i'm eating a lot of savory stuff but i just find more and more after i have something savory i'm like i need something sweet right now yeah yeah what are uh do you have any suggestions of, on how to cut that out and go more water-based <laughs> <laughs> uh sadly no, no. Okay, okay so give to your cravings <laughs> is what you're saying okay I guess uh, my biggest thing, but then I have a problem with like, I'm like, okay, maybe if I just buy like a bag of good dark chocolate chips that you put in cookies. Mm, and if I just, okay. if I just keep them in the freezer and take like, have like, you know, cause they're just strong and flavorful and I like dark chocolate, like the bitterness and stuff like that, but still sweet. So I'm like, maybe if I just have two of those, but then you just have to have that real self-restraint of not just then treating them like a bag of chips yeah. or you know just <laughs> popping them popping them back so <laughs> i haven't discovered it yeah, yet so funny. <laughs> uh favorite food city and i mean you you don't live in the states so i i, I usually say uh domestic and international but obviously mm, okay yeah i'll go for uh on um, i guess in domestically i'll go for wolfville nova scotia which is a Ooh on the uh the east coast of canada and that's where we had that devour festival that mixes food and film so awesome um there's always bound to be some awesome celebratory dinner around food in, in wolfville and then internationally um beijing i went to the the beijing film festival and had all these uh awesome exotic, um asian foods and hot pots and uh really cool stuff that the festival kind of treated us to when we were there so um, that's really yeah, cool go for beijing awesome yeah i would love to explore asia more i've only been i did a two-week trip in thailand and then when i was flying back i had a 12-hour layover in shanghai so i was like you know what like I, I like a longer layover versus when you're somewhere for like four hours and you're like i don't have enough time to really leave the airport so with 12 hours i signed up for like a three-hour walking yeah. food tour <laughs> and and had like some of the best uh soup dumplings i ever had in shanghai so i did not regret that at all so definitely need to explore i was gonna go to japan this past summer because my girlfriend was gonna cover the olympics so i was gonna try to meet her there before or after and enjoy japan but that's on hold till mm -hmm. uh next next summer <laughs> yeah Aww. we'll get that. uh yes exactly favorite cuisine 
or uh, Thai. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, just the, the the flavors are so foreign and, and beautiful and, and floral. And it's just, mm-hmm. I love experiencing, I don't know, like a, a taste and, and textures like that. Uh, it's often surprising. So, yeah, that's what I love about Thai cuisine. I think you should make a sequel to from the vine and since uh <laughs> since uh joe's character is getting into the boutique hotels maybe they open one in thailand and then there you go you dude film it in just thailand. <laughs> copy and paste this formula and all these wonderful exotic locations yeah I love that have, you, have you seen the i know it's a series uh like on the bbc but then they turn into the films the trip Oh yes, yeah, the Steve Coogan ones, yeah. Yeah, Steve Coogan and uh, Rob Brydon. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm always like, since uh, America does this a lot, find something, you know, just even with uh, the you know the British office, and then there's the American office. I, I'm like, ooh, there should be an American version of the trip, and I'm always trying to think who would be a good. And right, right now, I have in my head uh, Hank Azaria and Oliver Platt as my two. <laughs> I'd watch that because they're. Because they're buddies in real life, and uh, uh, both are, uh, especially Oliver Platt, like into food. His brother is a food critic, actually. Yep. That's where that's where he got the uh, inspiration for his character in Chef. Uh, <laughs> Amazing, but yeah, but yes. So I I say make from the vine and uh, into a series that would be awesome. <laughs> gotcha. uh, guilty pleasure food. What food are you like? Oh, I shouldn't have this, but you know, you just keep eating or just oh, or, or just uh, eat. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I've been on a cinnamon kick lately. I'll throw cinnamon in, in coffee grinds and on apples. And, uh, I just, uh, can I say a spice? Is that too out of, out of the box to go for a spice? No, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of the, as far as a guilty pleasure, one of the healthier options. Yeah. So that's good for, that's good. That's good for you. That doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't mean it's uh the question shouldn't mean unhealthy, but that those just tend to be the yeah. answers I get. <laughs> uh favorite condiment uh i will say sriracha mayo Ooh, nice what's the last thing you ate last thing i ate um i had oh a uh, spicy tuna salad that was for dinner about an hour ago and the kids had hot dogs and i (laughs) wanted a hot dog but i stayed with the salad there's the restraint right there. There you go. You don't need, you don't need advice from me. That's, yeah. that's it. <laughs> what would be your last meal? Oh, hmm. I don't know. I just think the go-to is always like a, a steak, like at an expensive restaurant. There's this mm-hmm. restaurant wrong with called that. Harbor 60, which is across from the uh, Air Canada Center where the Toronto Maple Leafs play. And so mm-hmm. all the, I know all the players go there after a game. So it's like, that's the, uh, yeah, the, one of the most desired cuts in the city is this place called Harbor 60 and their garlic mashed potatoes and things like that. So yeah, a good hearty meal. Nice. Yeah. I mean, my palate has definitely expanded over the years and I've tried a lot of different cuisines, but in the end of the day, uh, just give me meat and potatoes and I'm a happy guy. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We all need comforting at this time of our our history. Uh, do you prefer to, uh, in, in a world where we can dine out and that's all, you know, fine and safe, do you prefer to dine out or like eat at home, cook at home? Uh, oh, definitely uh, eating out. I mean, just with, with having 
children were kind of forced to cook every day and, and be in our kitchens. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to give them a semi nutritious lifestyle, you try to make as many home meals as possible. But no, when, when it's date night, my wife and I love to go out and experience uh, different restaurants. And that's, you know, it's not only the, the, the food that is a, a an experience, it's also the atmosphere of the, uh, the, the restaurant or establishment you happen to find yourself in. So the, the two kind of work uh, hand in hand. Definitely. Yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, that's restaurants, again, restaurants and movies. It's just, it's a form of escapism for, you know, and like mm-hmm. the, the best kind. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I'm going to get existential on you here. What, <laughs> what is your spirit food? What food best embodies you, your personality? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess uh, the first thing that came to mind was just a, a taco because there's, <laughs> uh, there's so many like uh, things that I, I want to include and I need some sort of hard casing to, to store everything that I want to uh, there you go. about myself. So <laughs> a taco came to mind. Yeah, because I have like a big creative side and then a more, you know, a romantic side and I fell in love with my high school sweetheart and then... Like, uh. I'm the I love dad, it. dad of three daughters, so there's that fun, playful side as well. So, yeah, and uh, and you have a day of the week, a Taco Tuesday. Yeah, so there, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm cheesy, so covered with cheese. So, <laughs> so yeah. going to the movies, what kind of snack are we having? Oh, popcorn. I love I love the traditional like popcorn and a and a Coke sort of thing. So it's mm-hmm. just that typical. I Definitely. Know, if I could have been like a 1950s kid and. You know, big <laughs> smile and you know, feet up on the chairs watching a movie. Then uh, that's kind of what I yearn for. To to certainly, I that's what I yearn for most these days. Just that simplicity of watching a film. That's the mm-hmm. beauty of it, these drive-ins. It's so um, it just harkens back to like uh, this uh, this time that seems so idyllic on in black and white television. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's kind of great that uh, I mean, there's a. F- a drive-in that's a little over an hour away from me, but they've definitely seen a boost uh, just given, you know, that that's how people are seeing movies a lot recently. So yeah, it's kind is, of... I, I'm, I think, uh, you know, today is a very complex time in, in our shared history to live. So anything that mm-hmm. harkens back to, you know, more simplistic times is uh, probably welcome at this stage. And last but not least, uh, the, the last question is, a great lesson you've learned in food, but I, if you wouldn't mind also answering a, gl- a great lesson you've learned in filmmaking as well. Oh, um, I think, uh, real, I guess taking, taking your time to get things right. So whether it be in the kitchen and, and following the recipe to its, you know, to a T and, and making sure all your units of measurement are correct and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and flavors are equally, uh, or you know, properly portioned out, um, allocated. And that's the same with film. It's like, you gotta take your time with the screenplay and then break down the shots as best as possible and, and hire the best actors and, and make sure you're everything that's in the frame is the way the director is hoping for. And, Hopefully that will yield a, a compelling result. So, yeah, I think by taking your time and perfecting the process will yield to a the most satisfying conclusion. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing those lessons. Appreciate uh, appreciate you asking. It's not often we get to compare food and film, so it's a, a really cool topic as a, as a fan of both. Sean, thank you so much for coming on Foodie Films. Please, right now, uh, tell the foodies out there, obviously, you know, we've told them to go and, you know, rent the movie and to watch From the Vine and obviously watch your other films on Netflix as well. But uh, as far as social media and all that good stuff, anything you want to share? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, you can reach out anytime. I'm at Sean Cisterna, uh, S-E-A-N-C-I-S-T-E-R-N-A. Um, that's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, whatever you want to use. And uh, yeah, if you have an idea for a film, I'd love to hear it. There we go. All right. Uh, we have a little catchphrase to end every episode, something my uh, grandmother uh, always says, and it's there's more to cut. So if you wouldn't mind telling <laughs> the foodies out there that there's more to cut. There's more to cut. Out there, foodies, awesome. there's more to cut. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. You're welcome. Bye. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I got love in my tummy and I feel like I'm loving you. Love you such a sweet thing.